Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth. I'm a marathoner, coach, and answer seeker. When I first started running at the age of 29, I had so many questions and what felt like nowhere to turn to for answers. And now I'm here to answer all your running questions about anything that you might want to know. If you're a new runner or you've been doing this for a long time, there's always something more to learn about running. So let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. This is episode 13 of season three, and my guest this week is run coach Kelly V. Hill. She was a guest back on season one talking about how the heck you find the time to train when you are a super busy parent who also works or whatever your obligations are in life. And she is back today to talk about training for an ultra marathon on a limited schedule. Kelly works full time. She has three kids and she's also a run coach. And so she knows what it's like to try to find the time to train for the things that you really want to train for. So without further ado, here's Kelly. Kelly, I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome back to the show. Yay. Thanks for having me. So you are a guest on season one. We did an episode about how to find the time to train when you are very, very busy, especially those runners who are parents and or who also work full time, which is something that you have a lot of personal experience in. And today we are talking about how to train for an ultra marathon on limited time. So tell us how you decided that you wanted to train for an ultra marathon. And then we're going to talk about how the heck you did it. (laughs) Yeah. um, Well, I've been running since 2011 and I've done seven marathons in between that time frame. So after like my fifth marathon, I'm like, you know what? I just kind of want to see like what it's like to run just a little bit further, kind of, you know, dip my toe into the ultra world. Um, and in 2019, I think it was, was when I ran my first 50 K, which was, um, all trail, which was something I wasn't used to. And I had only two kids then now I have three kids (laughs) and I was like, you know what, now I really want to go after like my second 50 K and see if I can kind of push myself to that 50 miler mark. So Um, I ran that second 50K two weeks ago and um, actually just today signed up for a 50 miler in November. (laughs) And so for those of us who are unfamiliar with metric, 50K is about 31 point something something miles, right? It's about 31 and a half. Yeah. So do you feel, and I know you are a runner and a coach as well, do you feel like your experience being a multiple marathoner was kind of a, like a prerequisite towards tackling the ultra distances? Yeah. I mean, I think in terms of the mileage, knowing what a marathon feels like prepares you physically and mentally to like, know that it's going to be pretty uncomfortable to push past that. Um, but the actual race atmosphere is so different from a marathon to an ultra. Like the ultra world is, I don't want to say night and day different because we're all runners, but it's much more casual. People are kind of, you know, just happy to be outdoors for the whole day. Um, So it's a little bit, I feel like, less competitive than a marathon. Uh, But the mileage, yeah, definitely set me up for success, I think. (laughs) Had you run a lot of trail before your first 50K or not really? 
Not a lot. I mean, of course, I'd go on, you know, like run meetups where I just like, you know, try and get on the trail for a little bit because I knew that that's what I needed to get used to. Um, And then running that 50K, obviously, it was all on trail. Um, So I got used to it pretty fast. (laughs) One of the reasons I asked you about your marathon background is that I sometimes get pushback on this when people talk about you know, how do I know when I'm ready to level up to the next level? And, um, I say, well, you know, if you, if you run a marathon, you typically ready to train for an ultra. And then people are like, that's absurd. Like I don't need to run a marathon before I train for an ultra. I'm like, no, but you need to have a decent background in, in decent volume for a while. Right. It's not yes. to say that you were required to race a marathon before you uh, run an ultra, but it sure helps being in a place where you know what it feels like to run you know, over 20 miles, over, you know, 35 kilometers in one go in a race environment, um, because there's really no substitute for time on feet when it comes to training for these really long distance events. Exactly. And I'd also, with the same argument, say even just knowing what a long-term training plan feels like, Um, before you go into the ultra is extremely beneficial because if you're training for a half marathon or less, those are normally what, you know, 12 to 14 weeks at the longest, whereas the marathon and ultra marathons, you're going to be training for a good amount of time to get your body ready for that. So even just the training period, getting your body and mind prepared for, for not just the race itself, but yeah, the actual time it takes. And of course, one of the the focus of our conversation today is how to train for an ultra on limited time, limited schedule. But we're talking about limited like availability during the week. We're not talking about a truncated like train for an ultra in eight weeks. Like, no, 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 (laughs) no, no, no. no. We're talking four or five, maybe six months of training for this one specific event. Um, But in so let me ask you this. How long how long was your training cycle for this most recent ultra that you did? Yeah, well, so just to kind of piggyback off of what you just said, I had a really long base building period between. So, I mean, to put that all together, it was easily about six months long. Um, But I had, I want to say about a solid two, two and a half months where all I was doing was just getting my endurance and mileage built up and, you know, just really getting the strength needed. Um, so I think after the base building, it was around like that three and a half to four month mark for the training plan. I know everybody's going to be a little bit different and we're talking a lot more about time, um, time on feet and time-based runs rather than distance. But I just want to get a sense. What was your volume like in training for this race? Yeah, so my volume was actually pretty low compared to like an average ultra marathon plan due to just, you know, what you said, working full time, having three kids, um, the age five and under. So they're all extremely needy. (laughs) Um, I would say so my highest week was closer to that 40, 45 miles that week. Um, but it was extremely spread out. So it was very rare that I would do, um, you know, like one five hour long run. I had to do a lot of splitting and it was what you, exactly you just said, the time on feet versus the actual number of miles. So something I see from a lot of super busy runners is they tend to try to cram 
they say like, oh, I have limited time. I'm just going to try to get all of my training in, in these, a couple large sessions. So they'll kind of do the opposite of what you said. They'll say, well, I'm going to try to run 45 miles in like three days. Um, (laughs) which is like, as a running coach, you're like, oh God. Um, what I think what we can be helpful for a lot of time limited. And let's be honest, like we're all super busy, right? Like very few of us have unlimited time to do anything, but really that frequency in getting as many individual runs as per week is probably a better strategy than trying to cram everything into just a few longer sessions, just in general for a bunch of different reasons, but specifically in this situation too. Yes. So many reasons. I mean, even just like, just thinking about the stress on your body with those longer miles anyway, cramming that into two to three days versus seven days is going to make a huge difference in terms of like, you know, less chance of injury, burnout, everything. So, I mean, that was my goal because I was um, about a year and a half postpartum when I started training for this. So literally my number one goal was like, do not get injured. I want to make it to the finish line. So everything was based off of that time on feet and just making sure the stress on my body wasn't, you know, all on one day where I wouldn't be able to run for the next three or four days. So then I want to ask you the other side of this question, like, okay, so you know roughly how much volume we're running. Do you know how many hours per week you were running in the meat of that plan? Yeah. I mean, I think the, my highest mileage week, I was probably running about, I don't know, maybe like 10 to 12 hours. Um, Yeah. Which is a lot. I think anybody who's gone this far is like, cool, she's going to teach me how to run an ultra on four, four hours a week. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you still, you can definitely do it by not running, you know, like 50 plus miles per week every single week, which is what I see a lot of the training plans online say. But you definitely need that elongated time on your feet just to prepare your body, even for like standing up for a long amount of time. Um, So yeah, a lot of time on feet, some of it walking, running. That's pretty much what it was based on. I was thinking about this the other day, actually, about the whole relationship in time, uh, time on feet versus distance, and that by necessity, training for something like an ultra marathon, especially one over trail or over terrain, is going to be a much slower average pace and a much slower average training pace than if you're training for like the fastest road marathon or even road half marathon you've ever run. And so to spend 10 or 12 hours per week, like admittedly, that's a hefty chunk of training time for most runners. But it's not it's not the same as how do I put this? It's not the same as spending 10 to 12 hours per week, like doing a whole bunch of speed work or track workouts. Like it's a, right. it's a different way because you're doing a whole lot of stuff that is relatively low intensity. It is there's sometimes intentional walking involved uh, because we all know how much ultra running loves a power hike. Um, <laughs> And so it's, I mean, so to hear like, yes, it is, it is a huge investment of your time, but also for ultra training, 10 to 12 hours per week is, is really on the low end. So I think for people who are like, oh my God, that's crazy. I'm like that, that is kind of like, I would even say, depending on who you are, you might be able to get away with eight to 10, but we're probably looking at around 10 hours per week as that average, you know, dedicated time in an per week in an ultra marathon training cycle. 
Yeah, 100%. And like I said at the beginning, my training was a lot less intense than a lot of, you know, some of the other training plans will show just because of my lifestyle. Like there's no way I can dedicate 15 plus hours a week running, you know, but I also think it's important to note like the efficiency of your runs matters too. So the time that you're spending running, making sure that it's not just like junk miles, you know, like we don't want to burn out just for the sake of like getting some miles on our feet, really making sure that every run, even the easy effort runs are like very efficient, like they have a purpose to your training. Um, and I think that that saves people a lot of time because I don't think many runners know like if what they're doing is even benefiting them in any way. Something I see, I obviously I think we're concentrating more on ultras that take place on trails. I mean, road yeah. ultras do exist, but they're so, so rare compared yeah. to traditional ultra marathons that take place on a variety of uh, trail terrain. Is that runners who transition from the road to the trail have a really, really, really hard time letting go of what pace means to them. Because they say, well, this is my easy pace range on the road. And I'm like, yeah, but you just ran through the forest, right? First of all, your GPS probably sucks. There was a lot more elevation change. You had to go through a creek. You had to go through a bog. And then they end up in that place where you say running a bunch of junk miles because they're trying to maintain a certain average pace so it looks good or feels good to them emotionally. And then they're running everything in this moderate zone and you just can't be in that place for 10 hours a week. Exactly. Yeah. I threw pace, the actual data out the window years ago, because even on the road, I feel like you kind of get disconnected from how your body feels anyway, when you're so stuck on like a certain number, because I mean, I could go on and on about that. But a lot of people don't understand like, that your easy pace should change day to day, because like some days you're feeling really tired, some days you're feeling really good, like it should not just be a constant like one number for your easy run. Um but yeah, and same with trails, like you're looking down at your feet all the time, there's roots, there's branches, you know, like, even if there's not a huge elevation change, um, just physically, it's different. And I know, that's part of the reason why I love ultra running now is everyone is basically going off of effort, which is why that there's a lot of power walking and you just never know 100% what to fully expect. What did you change or what did you intentionally set out to do differently for this ultra marathon compared to the one that you ran in 2019? Yeah. So we just, um, kind of talked about that one where making sure all my miles were efficient. I wasn't doing any miles just because, um, I mean, of course we all love to run just like, because we're feeling good and things like that. But I knew that my chance of injury was a little bit higher just from having a baby, um, and I also didn't want to get burnt out as well. I also focused a lot on like slow and steady hills, which normally when I'm programming, um, you know, my training plan for runners, it will be like a lot of short bursts up hills. And then the longer that they go, it's kind of, you know, you just elongate it more, which that was one thing that I did for my first 50K. It was more of those short bursts and not elongated. So I was like, you know, sprinting up the hills instead of getting my body used to like, okay, I'm tired. There's no way I'm going to be sprinting up a hill, especially on the trail. <laughs> so that was one thing that I did. And I did those weekly. It wasn't just like a every now and then thing. Uh, that was part of like my weekly run structure. So I will say for anybody who is ultra training, your 
there is no such thing as like a, a standard terrain change. If you you need to know the specific profile of your course and train for it, yeah. like that is so 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 important. Um, because like what you said, you know, long slow climbs are an incredibly different uh, training focus than hill sprints or net downhill or (laughs) relatively flat right or like if the hills show up later if the hills show up earlier like where the biggest changes are like all those things need to be baked into the training that you're doing to be like you said efficient so you're not just doing something just to do it like we don't we're not throwing everything you know everything with the kitchen sink at this it's like no 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 all the time I'm spending training I think it's where a lot of runners not just the time crunched ones but a lot of runners fall into this trap of the thinking that like more is always better or that they shouldn't do everything all the time. And you're saying, no, we need to strip this down. You need to focus specifically on the most efficient ways to train for your race and don't do any more than that. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, the running world now, especially on social media, it's so easy to get caught up in like all the fancy stuff, like the fancy workouts and all of this. And I mean, a lot of it, don't get me wrong, is fun. And sometimes it may be needed. But for most of like the average runner like me that's training for an ultra, we don't need to be doing fartleks and tempo runs like every other day. You know, it needs to kind of be simplified down, um, which is exactly what I did this training plan. It was very easy miles, put those hill workouts in, and then just focused on like the very basics of strength training and just making sure that my body was able to hold up, you know, Um So I feel like simplifying your running is so beneficial, especially in today's world where like, you know, you may feel overwhelmed by looking at different training plans and workouts. And, you know, I would say half of it really isn't needed, especially when you're going for the long distance. Obviously, knowing where you are postpartum and that was your first ultra in a couple years, I'm assuming that your goal was to finish the training feeling really good and then finish the race feeling, you know, really strong. How often do you see runners get into trouble where they set a goal that is not matching up with either where they are or with the time they have available to dedicate to training in pursuit of that goal? Oh my gosh, so much. (laughs) I could go on and on and I'm a, I'm a victim of that too, in terms of I was signed up to do the Marine Corps Marathon 50K last October, and I was like, you know what, in 2019, a year after I had my second child, I I was ready to run my 50K, so I'm like, oh, I could do that again after my third, and immediately, like, my body was not getting up to the high mileage, I was having pelvic floor issues, my strength and endurance was not where it needed to be, so I made the really hard decision to cut it. I didn't even, you know, I was maybe about two months into the training plan at that time. So I didn't even get to the high mileage to see, um, because I just knew that like mentally and physically I wasn't there. But that's a really hard decision to make. And a lot of runners go through that, whether it's postpartum or you have like a lot of life stresses. I have a couple runners that I coach that their jobs are very stressful. They work a lot of hours mentally. It's very taxing on them and that affects their training and their goals and how much they're able to commit to that too. So um, it's really hard to be in tune with your body to the point where you know that you shouldn't be running the high mileage right now. But I mean, I always say running in life is kind of like a journey together. So eventually you will get there. Like I had to wait an additional six months where I was like, you know what, I think I can retry this. And I did. 
but I think it was beneficial because I also learned, um, you know, just like all the necessary hard truths that you learn about running when you're burnt out, um, not necessarily injured yet, but you know that it could be coming. Like most of us just kind of want to take care of our bodies and run for a long amount of time, not just for one race. So that's something that I always tell my runners too, if they're in the same situation I was in, we're not just running for that one finish line. We want to keep running through the rest of our life and it's something that we love. So, you know, unfortunately we have to make the hard decisions to act accordingly. (laughs) That's tough for a lot of people too. You know, we have a lot of runners who are really, you know, really focused on the things that they want in life and to go after them. And then, you know, I think for a lot of runners, once they sign up for a race or put, you know, state their goal of achieving XYZ goal in such a race, it feels like it feels it feels wrong to back out of it. Like it feels I think like it's societally, you know, we get this idea that like, oh, but that you're a quitter or you couldn't hack it. And it's like, hey, like I don't want you running that race if you're not ready for it. I actually to run it would be the wrong choice. Yes, exactly. And I feel like we also get our own heads too, where it's kind of to the extremes. We think that, oh, if we can't go after our goal, then we're doing nothing. Or we've a hundred percent failed where life doesn't really work that way in extremes, even though our brains like to think it does. So, you know, back in October, of course I was disappointed and it was, you know, really hard decision. I didn't feel good about it right away. But immediately my brain started going to, well, I guess that ultra is never going to happen. And then you kind of have to flip it like, okay, just because it's not happening right now doesn't mean it's not going to happen in three, six, six months to a year, however long. Um, And waiting until you're ready is completely worth it. You don't have to force yourself as much and you just overall feel better. So yeah, you just feel overall better about waiting. Let's talk about the base building you do in preparation, because this is this is something that a lot of runners either just don't even know about or don't understand the importance of a good base building phase before you start a race specific training cycle. Talk to us about what your base building phase, your base training phase looked like and why you decided to do one. Yeah, and I mean, Again, I started running in 2011. I don't think I really understood the importance of base building until like two, three years ago when I ran my first ultra. Um, Number one, I think a lot of people, training plans sometimes just go right into like that six mile long run, let's say. But if you're starting from zero, going from zero to six right away and then to just keep building from there is not realistic, especially if you can't run like five to six days a week that a lot of those training plans have you run. Um, So base building, one is getting the time on your feet, which is extremely important before you start building your mileage. It's also just like strength wise for your muscles to make sure that like everything is engaged and your core is ready to go. I mean, there are so many benefits to the base building. So what mine looked like in the very, you know, the lengths can change obviously based on the person and like how they've ran before, how long they've ran before. Um, but it was about two solid months of very easy running, all time-based running, not going off of miles. So my long runs would be like 60 minutes, 75 minutes, you know, like an hour and a half, things like that. Um, and a lot of workouts that were based off of like the strength. So going back to those hills, not a lot of speed yet, because I didn't need that. I just needed to kind of build up 
my endurance and strength more than just going straight into, um, you know, a training plan. And I mean, I can't speak highly enough about base building. Like it is, it is the missing ingredient for most people. Um, because a lot, a lot of times we think about a race specific training cycle, like, oh, I'm training for this race. And it does, it jump, it can jump right in depending on the plan that you've chosen or what you're trying to do. You know, if you're choosing a plan that's too aggressive or you don't have the endurance, like literally the endurance to handle the distances that you're being asked to run, you are starting off like behind the eight ball already and you mm-hmm. haven't even completed week one. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I think um, a lot of people, even mentally, the benefits of base building, instead of just hopping right into like, let's say a 16 week marathon training plan, but they have no idea what the longer runs feel like yet. And then mentally they kind of shut down before they physically even get there, if that makes sense. So I feel like base building overall, yes, it gets your body ready, but it also kind of gets you into the like groove and rhythm of what your body needs to do to handle the training. When did you start adding trails in your training? Yeah. So I, because I am working from home most of the time, my kids are home with me. Um, I'm not able to run trails like every single run. So I really had to be very efficient in terms of which long runs I could do. There was a lot of scheduling involved to make sure because, you know, I'm not going to have the stroller out on the trip with me. Um, so there's a lot of logistics involved. So I tried to make it like almost every other week, maybe every two weeks that I'd be able to go out onto at least some sort of different terrain. So sometimes it wasn't like an exact trail, but it may be like a fire road where there are rocks or just something different than, you know, straight pavement to get like my ankles and my legs and balance and everything used to just different terrain. That I think is a huge time of talking about the the obstacles. I think for a lot of people might consider training for an ultra who are busy or maybe don't have easy access to trails to think, well, I can't spend, like, I can't head to the trail five days yeah. a week how could I train for this ultra? But you're saying like, look, as you're getting, as long as you're getting something in, like that's better than nothing. Exactly. And again, I'm talking to, you know, like elite ultra runners, they're a different breed. Of course, they're going to get more miles on trails than most of us because they live near them. You know, that's their job. I did more than half my runs on my treadmill that's behind me right now, um, just because that's the resource that I had to get my runs in. And I think it's better to get the time on your feet with what you have than to not do it at all. So that was kind of my mindset going into it. Using your treadmill training for a trail ultra marathon, how did you use that as a tool? Tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, I change up my treadmill a lot in terms of um, the speed. I go up and down like I'm never just set at one speed on the treadmill. I want to make it so because when you're running outside, even on, you know, pavement, you're going to change up your speed every stride. That's just naturally how our bodies work and also incline. So even without the hill repeat workouts that I was doing, even on my easy runs, I would still just, you know, like for a minute or two go up go down. I mean, I would, nothing was really like set in stone with those easy runs, but I definitely changed it up just to make sure that I wasn't, you know, like a hamster wheel going one speed. (laughs) 
which is sometimes different. I mean, sometimes when we're on the treadmill, we like to get in the groove. But yeah. when you're out, you know, on the road, but definitely on a trail, I mean, we're all over the place. There is no yes. such thing as a beautiful flat stretch of anything in most <laughs> situations. You're going up a hill or down a hill or you're picking over rocks. Or maybe you are running on relatively uninterrupted, but it's still gravel or it's still dirt that you are essentially, it sounds like you were trying to mimic all of those speed and elevation changes just naturally, not extreme. I think people hear treadmill hills and treadmill workouts, they think like, set it on 14%, jack it up to 10 miles per hour. Like you're saying like, just kind of like a little bit here and a little bit there, just kind of like constantly changing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was maybe the highest at a 6% incline, but most of it on the easy runs were very just like, slight changes where my body would notice there was a change, but it's not like I'm overexerting anything or, you know, doing anything crazy. Um, and I think that's part of what, an, you know, trail run is just like getting your body used to like those unexpected changes and how it can adapt to that. Right. I want to ask how many days per week you dedicated to training and then how how many weeks you experienced life interruptions that required a little bit of readjustment and, and how you handled those types of things? <clears throat> I'm laughing because it's probably more than half, half of the weeks that I had to at least adjust or change. But I would say on average, um, hold on, I feel like I have to sneeze. Okay, it's gone. <laughs> um, I feel like on average, I was at least getting in three to four runs per week. On a good week, it was four to five runs per week. Um, And then I would spend at least one to two days either strength training or cross training. I'm a big fan of cross training. So I do like, you know, my Peloton bike or something like that. Um, So that was like the ultimate week. If I could get in like four to five days of running plus those strength and cross training workouts, that was like the ideal thing that I was pushing for. I would say over half of the weeks, um, just life happens. Kids happen. Everything happens where you have to adjust. And I kind of had to like pick the importance of each workout going to that, you know, like efficiency. What's the benefit of these workouts? And I really had to pick and choose like, okay, with this limited time this week with how my body's feeling, how my schedule is, what can I do that would benefit me the most? And I mean, I would sit down almost every Sunday and schedule out my runs for the week or when I could at least get in some sort of a workout and I'd have to be very like picky about which ones I was able to do. Um, But especially the long runs were something that I always counted on. There was one weekend that it was supposed to be my 20 miler weekend And my husband was working. I had all the three kids home with me. There was no way I could do it all in like one shot. So I did 10 on Saturday, 10 on Sunday and kind of switched up between like treadmill outside. It was basically like an all day event with the kids, but that's what I had to do. So (laughs) we just kind of made it work. And there were a lot of times where uh, my runs were split up. I would have to do, you know, like an hour on the treadmill and then go back out for 30 minutes just to get time outside. So it was a lot of, it was almost like playing Tetris with running. Like, how can I fit these pieces together to make it work? (laughs) And this is going to be different for everybody, but broadly speaking, Thinking about the way that your week was structured, ideally four to five runs, you know, on a, but most, most prob- often probably four, sometimes three. Aside from your long run, 
what, how did you prioritize the other runs in your week? Yeah. So, um, almost all of my runs were easy effort runs. And then I always made sure I at least got one hill workout in. So if I had to move my hill workout, I made sure I was still getting it in at least once a week. So that was one of the priorities, this training plan, um, or this training season. And then the long run was also a priority. Um, and then I would say even just, I tried to make strength workouts a priority as well. So not even the running portions, but just make sure that I'm doing something, especially for like my pelvic floor and core issues that I was having. I made sure that I was at least dedicating time to that as well. So I would say those three things were something that I prioritized, but yeah, I mean, I basically like if my training plan had 60 minutes easy on a Wednesday and I just knew that I couldn't do it all at one time, I would do like. 20 minutes running to my daughter's school to pick her up and back um, and then find, you know, like two hours later if I had another 15 minute window. So it was broken up like that as well. Which is interesting because that that kind of goes against the general <laughs> advice that most coaches will tell you. No, this is, this is the thing. This is why like all all of the answers that we coaches give you are like the whole like, well, it depends. But generally speaking, because it does depend, generally speaking, X, Y, Z, if you don't have time to get your run and do as much as you can, just move on. But in this very specific situation for you, you're like, yeah, I did 20 minutes here. I did 30 minutes here. I split up my long runs. You know, it was yeah. more about in your in the week, how much time you got on your feet, <clears throat> not specifically about, oh, like, oh, if I, I didn't get all my 60 minutes in today, I got 45 and I called it quits. You're like, no, I got 60 minutes in in three separate runs. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I like as a coach, too, I have the same answers. Like generally, you do want to do these runs all at one time just to get your body used to it. Right. But I also think, again, we're just thinking of that extremes again. Like I'd rather it broken up throughout the day if that's what you have time for than you not to do anything at all. Right. So that's the mindset I was going in. And I also, for everyone, it's going to be different based on what your goal is and what type of runner you are. But from where I was at, I'm, a, you know, just trying to finish that second 50K. I'm not trying to beat any times. I'm not trying to place in the race. So obviously my training probably looked pretty different from the first place finisher of the race as well. Um, but that's what worked for me and my lifestyle right now. How often did you find, not the long runs, how often did you find yourself splitting up those weekday runs? Was it like you had one of those most weeks? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I would say, well, at some point it became part of the routine because I knew that that's how it would get done, right? Like I didn't want to keep changing it up and be like, oh, I wasn't able to get in a run today and it'd be like 9 p.m. at night. Um, so I would say on there was at least one day a week that I'd have to split it up that way. Some weeks it was two runs a week that I would have to make sure. So it really just depended. But yeah, I mean, that's how I kind of figured out how to get my run done. So I just kind of got into a routine. I want to ask you about two things about the long runs. I want to ask, I want to talk about splitting up the long run because this is something that we also tend to do for certain types of regular marathon training plans. And it's definitely something that you do with ultra marathon training, like anyways, in general, whether or not you have all the time in the world or not. And I want to also ask you about how you approached fueling on those long runs, because practicing fueling in training, especially for an ultra marathon, is so key. 
So let's talk about the long yeah. runs. Um, where did you start with your long run timer distance? And then you mentioned a 20 miler, like where, how, what did that long run progression look like for you? Yeah. Okay. Fueling is something that basically, I feel like every runner experiments and tries to figure out. So it's been a long time coming that I found what works for me, but I also want to note that in the ultra world, like eating actual snacks and food is very normal. So I kind of had a mix of taking, um, the gels and also eating like applesauce, fruit snacks, pretzels, things like that. So what works for me, which it changes for everyone, I have a very weird 33 minutes <laughs> that I take some type of fuel. And if I'm running longer than an hour, I start that right away. So um, for my 20 miler, if I'm 33 minutes in, I'll take that first fuel. Um, and I'm not very strict on like if I take a gel first or if I eat first, I kind of just go off of like if I'm hungry or not. If I'm not hungry, I'll just take those gels or gummies, whatever I have. Um, if I am hungry, then that's when I'm craving like salty pretzels or an applesauce or things like that, um, which I love. But it's also in training plans, you have to get used to running with food in your stomach because not a lot of runners get that when they're training for a marathon or under. Um, so even just which they should, like, I would say that's yes. they should be. That's not <laughs> it should. Yes, and it's so funny. I was talking to one of my friends who's an endurance biker. Um, he's an, a cyclist, and he's like, it's so normal to like actually eat while you're out there all day because you're skipping meals. You want your body to like still get the fuel. I'm like, why isn't this like more normal in our running world when we're out there for, you know, some of us four plus hours for a marathon and we're just not eating at all. Like, of course, our bodies are mad at us. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I would say just getting your body used to like actual food for fuel and just experiment with what works for you in terms of like the time in between that you take, what gels you like. Um, yeah, it honey waffles, things like that, that feel like fuel or feel like food, but are fuel as well. And hydration and electrolytes. I mean, I, I had a guest on last season talking about like the logistics of, of training for an ultra marathon. And she's a dietitian. So we talked extensively about diet and nutrition, like how to like plan out. You're going to need a whole bunch of calories. Like where are you going to yes. get it from? You need a whole bunch of fluids. Where are you going to get it from? How long is your race? 50 K 50 miles, hundred K hundred miles. Like <laughs> where are your drop points? Where are your aid stations? Like all these things matter. You may be able to get through a marathon without eating anything. I have. It sucked, but it's possible. <laughs> you can't do that with an ultra. No. I mean, you're you're running through lunchtime, depend, you know, just for me. So your body is going to want food. And yeah, thankfully, um, both of the 50Ks that I have run have been loops. So you always come back to where the food and aid station is, which is extremely helpful for when you need to remember to eat, like if you're passing by food. But yeah, I mean, for those 50 milers and up, if they're like point to point races, you really have to plan out in your training runs, like, okay, how often did my body want to eat? And at what point so you can, you know, replicate that on race day, because that's like the number one thing I see in the runners that I coach as well is they're wondering why like they've trained and their endurance is so well, but then they burnt out on race day 
And it's like, oh, well, when did you start fueling? Oh, I forgot the first two hours. So it's like, well, there it is. You know, like you really have to get on top of it. It's something that you can't really backtrack on. So how did you, so the reason I ask about the fueling is that considering that you were doing a lot of split long runs, you weren't doing a whole bunch of like multi-hour continuous long runs on feet every weekend, which I think is a lot of people think like, oh, to train for an ultra marathon, I have to run for five hours every, every weekend. Yeah. Um, that it may feel like overkill to eat that much, quote unquote, on a run that is only two hours, only 90 minutes or only two and a half hours. Right. But it's about getting your body used to eating the amount of food it will need in the race. Yes. Yeah. And when I started running, I was in college and I remember I would nap the whole day after a long run. And number one, I don't have the luxury for that anymore. But number two, I also don't think that that's like, healthy. I mean, I'm not a nutritionist, but our bodies after a run should still be, you know, like up and moving and feel good. Um, And especially being a mom to three now, like after a long run, I go right into mom mode, you know, like there's no time for me to nap for two hours and do all the recovery or like try and get my fuel up. So after I became a mom, that's when fuel became very important to me because I realized it doesn't just affect your run. It affects how you feel after your run and for days on, you know, so getting ahead of that is extremely important and something to think about when you're running, you know, like what else do you have to do that day? We don't want to just burn everything we have in our system in the first two hours because of our run. So let's talk about those long runs and how you structured them, because for most runners, the long run is going to be their their biggest training demand of the week, just in terms of yep. time on feet and time away. And even if it's an easy effort long run, it's a very demanding effort on your body. Yeah. Did you, let me ask you this, did you intentionally plan to split most of your long runs just because of scheduling Or did you take it week by week and say, well, this week I'd like to get this much time in. What does my week look like? Mostly week by week. Definitely took it because, I mean, during the week was normally very similar, right? Like my kids are in school, I'm working, we have the evening routine, everything like that. But the weekends, it was kind of like, what do we have planned? Is my husband working? Do I have something to be with the kids or do I have to run with my kids? There were a lot of moving factors for those long runs. So I would take it week by week on if I needed to split them up or not. Um, And if I did, it would very much be like, okay, how could I do this to get the most benefit out of it? So could I split up a two hour run doing an hour and hour or could I split it up doing an hour and a half? really kind of pushing myself a little bit and then do 30 minutes later. Like I was just trying to see what would be the best way to do that. But I did do my longest run for the ultra was in one run, um, which I'm thankful for because that was kind of, you know, where you try out your clothing and the fuel. Like I really wanted that to replicate what I would be doing on race day. It's... It's tricky to train. So there are a lot of different ways to manipulate training. That's what I love working with athletes one-on-one and kind of with really customized uh, training programs for them. It becomes a lot easier to mess with this kind of stuff if we're getting some of these foundational, like, as it should be elements in. And so 
like what you said, the fact that you were able to get your longest long run in of the training cycle continuously. And I assume that was like a huge priority for you. Like I'm making this happen. This is not something I'm going to split up. That having that specific experience in your training really does allow you to be a bit more flexible with some of the other stuff. Yep, exactly. And like you said, it is so personal based off of every runner and what our goals are and our background in running and things like that on like what would be the best way to split it up. But for me, that longest run in my training plan was one that I knew I wanted to do all at one time just so I could not even physically, but just feel better mentally. Like, okay, on race day, I have done this. Like I've replicated when I'm taking my fuel, the clothes that I'm going to wear starting early in the morning, which is when my race was starting as well. So I would recommend there's no, for me being a coach and seeing some runners that also have to do similar things by breaking their runs up. You can still get to the finish line healthy and happy and have fun splitting those runs up you know, when you need to, but prioritizing, I would say at least one to two long runs where you are replicating your race. So mentally, you also just feel better about how the race day will go as well. I want to talk a bit about like the physiology of splitting up a long run, because there's a couple different ways you can split it up. Um, And so you can either split, you can do two runs in one day, where you can split up over two days. And in a lot of marathon training plans, this might look like instead of running, I know the classic like 20 miler in, yeah. in marathon training, which is not something that every marathon runner should do in training for a variety of reasons, time on feet, injury risk, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. But often this looks like, so, you know, running six miles on one day and then like 14 miles the next day. And so you've gotten 20 miles over two days, but you've, you've basically taken like you're a long run and you've pre fatigued yourself by running the day before. Um, this is something that I think a lot of people get confused on because they, they hear, Oh, I can just split up my long runs. And then they say like, Oh, well this plan says that to run 18 miles, I'll just run this and this. And what we're talking about in splitting up your long runs is like, this is like, it's done very intentionally. Um, you can't just like take a pre-written plan that contains a run the day before your long run and like split your long run up further. Like your long run has already been split up. If you have a run the day before your long run, did you find that you were obviously like, I'm sure dependent on week by week. Um, let me ask you this. What did you enjoy more splitting up your long run over in two runs on one day or splitting up your long run over two days? (laughs) Oh, I'm going to say doubles are hard running twice or more in one day, especially longer sessions, 60, 90 plus minutes, it's a lot. It is. And even to switch on and off your run and not on your run, meaning like when I split up my um, 20 miler run in two days, did 10 and 10, normally you run like my long runs were normally on Saturday. And so mentally I was turned off on that long run Saturday night when in reality I had to get back into it for Sunday. So I liked it just in terms of time constraints and knowing that I was still getting that time on my feet again, going back to like just being the uh, most effective and efficient run possible. 
but it is mentally, it was a lot harder on me to get back up going on Sunday. Cause you know, if you're doing a long run and you hit the groove like two hours in, and then you have to stop and wait a full, however many hours to go back at it again, like it really just shuts off your rhythm. Um, and I think it's a lot harder than people think. They think that spreading it out is easier, which for some it may, and also good physically as well, if you need to shake your legs out and things like that. But yeah, to kind of get back in the groove and mentally get back into the swing of things, it's pretty hard. It's, it's, the key to why it works is because of this thing called cumulative fatigue, but that's, and it's how your training plan works, right? This is how you basically accumulate fatigue over the course of your training cycle. And then you taper into race day. So then you're like super fit, but also super fresh. I think people like, yeah, think like, oh, I'll just run 10 miles in 10. Have you, I mean, I've run back to back 10 milers. They're so hard. And you think like, oh, it makes it more manageable. And you run 10 miles. And like you said, have realized, oh my God, I have to do this again, right? Yes. It is It is a lot. There's really no way to get around the fatigue. It will get you uh, no matter kind of how you slice it in your week. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I think like for time constraints, it works really well. But I mean, even just, I know of people in 2020 that did like the every four hours run four miles ultra challenge. Was it David Goggins? I don't know. I forget. I think it was. It was like the four by four by four or something. Yeah. Something like that. And they said they all like registered. We're like, oh, this is going to be easy. You know, we're runners. And they said by like the fifth four miler that you have to do, you're so fatigued. And again, you're just out of the rhythm that like it's a lot harder than people think to kind of stop and go like that within a two day span. We haven't even talked about sleep deprivation. I mean, 50Ks and 50 milers probably aren't going to get you to that. But if you're looking at 100 milers, 100K, 100 milers, 200 milers, sleep deprivation is going to be a significant factor. Uh, And there's really no way to prepare that. I had somebody ask me once, and I asked a sleep specialist about this, should I intentionally like do my runs while I'm sleep deprived so I get used to running while I'm sleep deprived? Right. <laughs> I was like, no. And the doctor was like, no. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> but there are all these like added added things in your train. Like it's, the it, those things like that can be deceptively challenging. And I will also say, I know that fueling is a huge thing that most people struggle with kind of in general, that to run twice in one day or to do back-to-back long runs requires a really specific amount of attention page to making sure you are fueled and you are staying hydrated so that you yes. aren't depleting yourself further every single time you continue to run. Exactly. Yeah, and I think just to make your point about don't train while you're sleep deprived, just because same thing with like, you know, bad weather. Even if the race goes on in bad weather, it's not always something that you need to push through while you're training as well, because on race day, you're just going to have to go along with the uncontrollable elements, right? So we don't always want to like put our body in a state of stress all the time just to get it prepared, because then it's going to like do a flight or a fight or flight response, right? Like just freeze or keep going. Um, So yeah, I have not longest I've run is the well it's like 34 miles because I got lost on my first 50k but for the 50 milers even like a lot of people aren't used to eight to ten hours just on their feet whether you're running or not so not necessarily the sleep deprivation but 
really just like you're you're rarely sitting down for these longer runs so it's even just like the standing even while you're eating right like you're still on your feet which i think is a big barrier um for a lot of people which is an interesting thing too because even for 8 10 12 hour races you know we're not spending 8 10 12 hours on our feet in a single training cycle right you I mean you're spending multiple hours on your feet maybe 4 5 6 uh, but that is again about that cumulative fatigue what how long in time was your longest run compared to your finishing time um my longest run was about five hours and i finished the 50k in i think it was like seven hours and 45 minutes something like that yeah so nowhere near like the seven hour mark but yeah which is something, again, that I think freaks people out about training for any longer distance is they're like, well, how how will I know? I'm like, well, that's why we train for five months. Like, that's why yes. we, <laughs> that's why we yes. put all this time on our feet in little, little bits. It adds up. It all yes. adds up. Yep. And going back to the base building, um, that is extremely beneficial in terms of just like getting your body ready for the time on your feet. So just having that like six plus month period of running and training is so beneficial. And I know a lot of runners that I coach, um, they get worried about like one bad run or having to skip one run here or there, things like that. And it's like, well, the training cycle is a cycle for a reason. It's not just one run or one, you know, strength workout or anything. It is all of them together. And all the training cycles you string together. I mean, I think being where you are now in 2023, having trained for this race, you had 12 years of running behind you Yeah, that was part of the experience on your legs, like not just your muscle memory, but like your experience with, you know, the aerobic base and what your ligaments and muscles and tendons have been through and like all these things add up. And I think we get so impatient sometimes as runners, we want to skip to the next big thing, but your body needs time to adjust. And like, you cannot shortcut that or else you are going to get injured. Oh yeah. And that's what happened. I mean, I'm guilty for that, especially before having kids just rushing into things because I'm like, oh, my body can handle it. You know, it's handled things before, but even after having my third child, when I thought I was ready for my second 50 K, And my body was like, whoa, 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 like, what are you doing to us? And it really like, I mean, of course, I put in work to like, go to physical therapy and do all of that. But I honestly think it was just the time that made the biggest difference, just more time to heal and get my body ready to build that base to then go into the training plan. Um, I know all of us like to not be patient, but sometimes that's all it takes is to just be a little bit more patient. What do you wish, so in hindsight, right? So analyzing how it all went, what are your biggest takeaways? Like things that you're like, that went awesome. I am stealing that for every future training cycle or things when you're like, okay, in retrospect, I really wish that I had done this differently or something that happened in the race. You're like, I did not plan for this. I should have trained for this. Yeah. Um, Oh man, so many things. I would think the things that really worked for me were when those hill workouts, having a variety of them. So again, not just the 
um, short intervals up a hill, but really those elongated hills that I put in the middle of runs was extremely beneficial and something that I'll do even when I'm not training for, you know, an ultra or trail run. Um, I want to ask about that. What does that look like? Tell us what that workout looks like or those workouts look like for you. Yeah. So they varied, but for an example, it would still be like an easy run with hills packed in the middle. So let's say I would do like 20 minutes easy and then I would do um, hill repeats, but they looked like maybe two minutes running up a hill and then running back down, let's say like five or six times and then finishing with another 20 minutes easy or something like that, just so you could kind of get both the best worlds like endurance plus running those hills. Um, And then the short bursts were the same. I would do maybe like a 20 minute warm up, but then do like six to eight 30 second sprints up a hill and then run like a minute or two back down. Um, I think both were beneficial. The difference this training one was the elongated hill repeats, those like two plus minute ones. And I think one mentally, it kind of built that mental toughness of like just being uncomfortable for that period of time. Um, and physically too, I think it also just helped with my form on the longer runs as well. Like when you get fatigued, I was still able to, you know, hold myself up and kind of have control over my body. I mean, hills are amazing in training. Yeah. I think for those long hills, it's the up and the down. You need both. Unless you're running only uphill in your race, you need to run up and downhill. And I think a lot of people hear hill workout and they automatically assume that it's going to involve fast running. But as you just described, you know, you were just putting in hill repeats, but it doesn't sound like you were changing your pace or effort that much. You were just like, steady up the hill, go back down the hill, steady up the hill, go back down the hill. Yes. Yeah. And I have to thank my coach. Um, I hired a coach. Run coaches have coaches too. Um, I hired a coach, Jess, from Pace of Me. And she's the one that kind of introduced me to those elongated hills and kind of guided me through that just to like kind of break it down, which was extremely helpful. um, Yeah, for a variety of reasons. I will also say anybody who's training for the New York City Marathon, you're going to want to put long hills in your training. I know it's not an ultra, but those bridges in New York are the epitome of long sustained climbs. (laughs) I'm sure I haven't run it, but yes, I can see that's true. (laughs) Long hills, good for a variety of situations. All right, let's talk about what didn't work. Let's talk about what you would have changed or will do differently next time. So I hate to say it, but I think more strength work outside of running would have really helped me. Something that I tried to implement, but when you are trying to just fit the pieces of the puzzle into your week, it's hard to really make those a priority over your runs themselves. So making that a priority would be something that I would definitely do because just talking about that fatigue again, you're going to need that muscle for when you get tired because it's not if you get tired, it's when. Like you're going to need to know and have that muscle memory to like keep yourself going um, when those times hit. But so strength workouts. Um, Let me ask you about that. that. Oh, because I mean with, with having a, a finite number of hours during the week, right, would you – deprioritize something else would you sacrifice a run to get more strength training in what would what would you need what would you sacrifice or what needs to what's the trade-off 
I don't know if I'd sacrifice a hundred percent of a run, but I do think that I would have shortened a run to then get in just a basic like 20 to 30 minute strength workout. I think that that would have been very helpful. That, I mean, just that's, that's huge though. Like that's big. Cause I think like a lot of people think that running is the most important part of running. And you're saying, well, if I had an hour on my schedule, if I had one hour to work out today, I, yeah. on some days I would do 30 minutes of running and then 20 to 30 minutes of strength. Like that would, that would have been the right decision. I think so. In terms of where I was at too, because I was also in like a season of life that I needed that muscle built back up. So it depends on your background as well. But if you're running the long distances after having a baby or after, you know, taking time off for any reason, injury or whatever it may be, I think strength is a lot more important than people think when it comes to endurance, because your endurance carries you until you're tired. And then the strength hopefully kicks in. But if you don't have that background of strength, you're kind of just at that point, you're just kind of forcing yourself to move forward. Well, I think that's that kind of brings us to our larger point of of training for these things with a finite number of hours during the week to dedicate to it. Because for a lot of runners, we say, well, this is how much time you need to train for this event and you need to do strength training and you need to do warm up and cool down and you need to do this. And they're like, I don't have time. And so it's about, Hey, look, let's figure out how much time you do have during the week and let's figure out the balance of things that are important for you specifically. Right. So I think a lot of people think I just don't have time to strength train. Like I bet you do. It just might mean cutting into something else because it actually is that important. It will make that much of a difference. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of runners, when the first conversation started about the benefits of strength training for runners, they're like, well, we're not going to spend an hour lifting weights, you know, like we'd rather spend that like what you just said. But it really doesn't even have to be it could be 20 minutes of a body weight workout that could be beneficial to you if you're doing nothing right. So just kind of start where you're at and see like where you can put in those little, little workouts here and there and see what you can build from. I want to ask you about what else didn't work. Cause I feel like you were about to say another thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like, you know, every runner, I feel like after a race, you can look back and be like, Oh, I could have done this. I could have done that. I could have pushed through things like that. Um, so I think the long runs, how do I word this? I feel like all of my long runs, I did what I could. I feel like I probably could have um, like scheduled them out a little bit more where I had like a couple weeks in between each long run um, instead of like one after another. I basically did like a four week build with one week in between. Whereas where I was at physically and mentally, I probably should have done like a three week build with like two weeks in between, if that makes sense, just to kind of give myself some downtime. Because once I built that base, it was basically kind of like, all right, here we go, we got to get the mileage up, which that was just based off of, again, I had to cancel my 50k in October. So I was already on like a time constraint for the race that I wanted to do, which happens like you're not just gonna have, you know, an infinite amount of time to train for the race when you have a deadline for that. So I think just having a little bit more time 
um, for my body specifically. And I know tons of runners, I've trained them where like the four week build, three week build with one week, that works great for them. But I think it's important to note that like, it's okay if that changes. It's okay if you have more than one week for your body to just kind of wind down a little bit more before you keep building again. Yeah, that that how do we specifically periodize our trainings so that we are building and cutting back? And this can be, this can look different for every athlete and also look different from every athlete between in training cycle to training cycle. Um, like I said, you know, that that three week up, one week down, it's neat, it's classic, it like fits well into these training plans that we write, but it's not going to work for every athlete. Like right. I actually, I'm working with an athlete right now, we're doing two weeks up, one week down. Yeah, it's working great. It's working great, right? But would I do that with another athlete? No, that would it would be terrible for them, right? So it really depends yeah. on, on like learning to listen to your body and understanding how you feel and in, in the context of what's going on in your training. Yes, and I think it's important too to have that experience of like, okay, try the three week build with one week down and just see how your body feels because, like, on average, that may work for everyone, but like me and the athlete that you're training, you may need to switch up a little bit and it's okay if it doesn't follow that exact formula. Um, I mean, that's like a whole other conversation, but yeah, the training is so personal that like, just do what works for your body and what makes it feel good. So I want to ask you what a week looks like with your jam packed schedule <laughs> trying to get 10 to 12 hours of running in per week. Cause I think some people are thinking that's ridiculous. How does she do it? <laughs> and still sleep at night. Um, take us through, uh, a, an average week of Kelly's ultra training. I'm sure it's oh boy. busy, busy. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Well, I do want to preface that I have the benefit of working full-time from home. So this is going to look different from someone that has to like commute to an office or something like that. Um, and I do like my son's in preschool and my daughter's in kindergarten. So I do have two kids in school, um, but it's busy and it's chaotic a lot of the time. So like I said, like during the week, a lot of my runs would be like my warm up for my runs would be running to school to pick up my daughter, running back and then figuring out how I could get the rest of my run in. So sometimes that would be like just transferring to the treadmill while the kids ate a snack or something like that. Um, sometimes that would be to take out the stroller with my toddler and my two big kids on their bike and just see how long they could go with me. Um, there was a lot of flexibility. Um, and it's so funny. I, I wrote this down before this call because before I had my third kid, I was an early morning runner. So I would get all my miles in at like 5am before my kids woke up and it was great. But now like I need the sleep. I don't know if it's just getting older or what, but like early morning miles were out the door set for long runs. So a lot of my runs were in the afternoon or evening. Um, sometimes they were lunchtime runs when I had a break between work calls. So when I tell you that it was all over the place, it was all over the place, <laughs> but in a structured manner, if that makes sense. <laughs> the key here is that I think you work with a coach, right? It's not like, and, and even if you hadn't worked with the coach, you are still a running coach. Like you yeah. have the, and I think where a lot of people get really frustrated or confused when they're trying to put together their own training schedule with a really busy life is yeah. that they don't know how to prioritize or pick and choose or like slot things in. 
Yes. Right. So this is something where it you can learn it. This is not this is not magic. This is not mystery, right? This is just is something like this is just something you can learn about. But if it does take time to learn how to do it correctly, and if you're not quite sure how to do it, this is where a coach is really valuable. Yes. And not even the knowing how to do it, but for me specifically, I like wrote down my training plan. It was like good to go. Like I knew how to write my training plan. I knew what would work for my life. But it's almost having that like outside ear that's not part of, I mean, the running coach, of course, like their goals are my goals. I, you know, every runner that I coach, but more so in terms of like, they're not going to be so hard on you if you need to break up your run because they're an outsider. So it's not like you staring at the train plan that you wrote being like, wow, I can't even do this thing that I wrote for myself. It's more so like, okay, like having that outside ear being like, this is still going to be beneficial, you know, like just kind of confirming and encouraging you. Um, So yeah, just having someone kind of in your corner for a run coach, which was part of the reason why I needed someone to like the training plan I, I knew, but outside of that, just having someone there. Which is something, I mean, I work with a coach, like I don't coach myself anymore because we are so hard on ourselves. I think that the expectations that we set for ourselves as individuals, most people have really high standards, like as you should, right? But for a lot of people, it borders on, say, unrealistic or an inability to truly understand and like see the patterns of what's going on, right? So if you were thinking, oh, you know, I needed two down weeks on some occasions. If you were self-coaching, you might have said, no, Kelly, like you don't need two down weeks. Just push through (laughs) blah, 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 blah. Right. And that's not where we want to be. Exactly. And almost like it's so easy by yourself to have an all or nothing approach where a coach can kind of bring you back down to reality in terms of like, there were so many days that I could have easily been like, well, I don't have an hour. So crossing off today I'm not gonna do anything but to have a coach kind of be there like okay let's see how that we can make this work in terms of you still getting time on your feet it may not look like a full hour at one time run but it will still be something to kind of push you a little bit closer to that goal so it sounds like a 50 miler is next up on your schedule yes yes I um Brooks running reached out to me about a JFK 50 miler code. And they were like, you know, do you want to do it? And I had it in the back of my mind, because I was that was a race I was also registered for back last November, where I had to just call it quits for both my ultra runs in the fall. And I was thinking about I'm like, do I want to go back? I'm nervous. But that opportunity presented itself. I'm like, I can't say no. So yep, in November, I will be towing the line. (laughs) For my first That's 50 so exciting. <laughs> oh my gosh. And here's the thing. I mean, th- I, this is your, you know, your training and your experience, but I can't imagine that your training is going to look that much different. No. And I'm actually going to use the 50 K as like my longest training run for the 50 miler. Um, so my training will be pretty similar in terms of just like the buildup, but yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> little tune-up race, little 31 mile tune-up race. Yeah. You know, just get the legs going a little bit. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about training for an ultra on a limited schedule. I think this is hopefully helpful for a lot of people to understand that it doesn't have to be perfect to be effective. And I know we get really caught up in trying to be perfect because we want to guarantee the outcome and 
that's just not how life works. Yeah. Uh, Kelly, if people want to follow along with your journey or learn more about you and you as a coach, where can they find you? Yeah, um, you guys can find me on Instagram, um, at more miles, more fun. I also have my website, moremilesraces.com. Um, yeah, mostly on Instagram, though. I'm always there. <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> more days than not. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, thank you so much and good luck this fall. Thank you. I appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.